fridges that know who's at the door, talking glasses and robots that mow the lawn on their own. Smart devices are meant to make our lives easier. But they are also gathering our private data. The Internet of Things is smart, but how secure is it? Gartner Research suggested enterprise and automotive IoT market will reach 5.8 billion endpoints in 2020, a 21% increase from 2019. This increase of IoT device implementation will be met with an increase in regulatory efforts too. For this reason, we can expect companies to get more proactive about IoT security by design. The Internet of Things is one of the world's fastest evolving technologies. There are 22 billion devices in circulation around the globe, with that number set to increase by 15 billion in the next three years. However, as the number of these connected devices surge, so do the attack surfaces for potential bad actors. Over the next two episodes of the Critical Lowdown, we are going to ask the questions. With increased connectivity in consumer, medical, industrial and critical infrastructure domains, just how do we guarantee trust and privacy in a hyper-connected world of devices? And how can manufacturers ensure the Internet of Things does not become the Internet of Trouble? This is episode six of the Critical Lowdown. Last week, the CEO of EPS Global, Colin Lynch, sat down with Hayden Povey, founder and CEO of Secure Things and the Chief Strategy Officer at IAR Systems, to discuss the topic of IoT security. Hayden had just returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where he had been acting in an advisory role on the key requirements for security of connected devices and on the future minimum standards. In part one, Colin and Hayden discussed the landscape of IoT security, real-world implications, and what governments around the world are doing about it. Let's jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Colin Lynch. I'm the CEO of EPS Global. We're a global provider of secure provisioning services. And I'm talking today to my good friend and colleague, Hayden Povey, the CAR, CEO of IAR Secure Things. Uh, secure Things are a Cambridge-based company who make solutions that simplify security for customers designing connected devices. Delighted to have you here today, Hayden. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Colin. So if, I, if I start at the start, Hayden, um, why did you so found secure things? What was the problem you were trying to solve? Um, it's a bit of a long story, and I apologize to your uh, listeners. Um, but basically, my background, I was with ARM for over a decade, uh, having run the microcontrollers and subsequently the security uh, side of those businesses working on technologies which underpin Apple Pay and Samsung Knox and solving those problems around mobility. And I saw the same sort of problem starting to emerge in the Internet of Things around how we have to trust our data. We have to trust the systems which are going to surround our lives uh, and ultimately which are there to help us. But unfortunately, if they're not trustworthy, if they're not secure, then we are creating a, an internet of broken things or an internet of trouble uh, instead of an internet of trust. Uh, and so 
decided that we needed to do something about that. It's interesting. I mean, from 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 our perspective, I can I can remember meeting you many years ago. It must be four or five years ago now at Electronica, where you had big ideas for secure things at a at a PowerPoint deck, and it, it struck me at the time from an EPS perspective that you know we're really focused on outsourced services and. The area of security of connected devices, I, I always prefer that as an expression for the IoT, even though you, 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 there's, there's, rich, there's rich, uh, rich room for alliteration, I can see, in the internet of various things. Um, but for me, the, the, there's a, not, a lot of aspects of security that are tough for companies to navigate. Compliance, time to market is a big challenge if you're trying to incorporate security. There's costs of capital, there's costs of staffing. And, and for us, I think we, we really saw the engagement when we, when we see an area where it's going to be far more cost effective for companies to outsource than to do things themselves. So that, that's, I think, maybe where the two of us came together originally and, 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 and saw, saw, saw a, a collaboration. And um, I mean, we talk a lot about the risks of connected devices. Did you want to maybe elaborate on that and talk specifically about what risks you see and what you're trying to address? Well, absolutely. And, and I think there are a wide set of risks. Um, first of all, though, the, there are a lot of significant business risks in everything that we do um, as people build their systems and are trying to build trustworthy systems and the ability to manage code and keys and everything else through a secured supply chain is obviously a key uh, requirement of that, which we'll come back to. But when I look at the key risks, perhaps the best way of looking at this is some work we did recently with the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is a very strange forum, a very strange group to be thinking about IoT security. They tend to think about macroeconomics and pandemics and all of these sort of areas. And yet they came out with a statement a couple of months ago, which we supported around some of the key requirements that they need for IoT devices. And these are things like a need for a proper identity, because in the Internet of Things, we're going to have many devices, billions or trillions of devices and we need to make sure that there's proper identity and there's not traditional passwords which are easily forged or broken. Because the, the consequences of that is that we, we can't really trust our devices. We have to be honest about when things break. Uh, and we're all humans. Code is not perfect. And we need to be able to manage devices through their life cycle. And that's a very easy thing to say. But it's a lot harder to deal with because you have to put in place the right foundations which enable us to manage devices through their life cycle from birth, through production and manufacturing and delivery of those, all the way through their life cycles with updates and patching and end of life and all of those sort of things. Is there an example, Hayden, that you could give me of a, of a customer, maybe on a no-names basis, that really encapsulates what are the risks associated with you know, failing to account for the, the, these things you're talking about? Oh, there's a, a number out there. We've seen recently, for example, uh, in Central America, uh, energy meters being uh, hacked. And at one level, that just stole about $400 million worth of revenue from the energy company. And that, that's a pretty big number. We've also seen companies uh, in the Far East, um, which do door electronics for supermarkets and shops. 
And they actually had their IP stolen. So they're seeing uh, revenue growth in all of their major markets. But in one particular region, the revenue was dropping off quite substantially. And they actually found that it was one of the partners in their own supply chain, which was uh, robbing. There, there are many others. Though. I think the most interesting one for me is in the HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning space, though. Because the, the reality, and most people don't think about this, is if you over-pump um, a HVAC system, you can turn it into a small bomb. Uh, and actually detonate it. it is listed on security services risk registers uh, and as these things become more connected they have the ability to be attacked and weaponized in effect and it's it's this weaponization of standard technologies all around us which people are starting to think about obviously the events in ukraine and and with russia does bring sharply into focus how things can be misused and abused, not just the upsides of better data and better decisions. Interesting. A bomb in every factory rooftop, that's not one I'd heard before. Um, so for, I, guess, I guess the government have a role to play. I, I mean, there, there, there's presumably legislative initiatives in the offing. Could you, could you maybe frame some of those for us? I know there's probably, I'm thinking the UK, maybe the EU, US as the markets people are probably most concerned with listening to us today. Yeah, um, there's a lot of legislative um, frameworks moving forward. In the majority, these are based actually on work which was carried out by the IoT Security Foundation itself. It's a non-profit global uh, non-government organization. Uh, and we've been a member of that since uh, we helped set it up, in fact. And we've evolved what we call the 13 best practices in that uh, around IoT and cybersecurity uh, implementation. Now, that's been picked up and we've worked with a number of governments globally, the most advanced of whom, uh, from a legislative perspective, is the UK. So here in the UK, we have the PSTI bill going through Parliament. It's in its final reading this week. And the Product Security and Telecoms Infrastructure Bill basically gives the same sort of framework as we saw previously for GDPR. So it introduces a 10 million pound, that's about $13 million fine for non-compliance. Uh, and what it requires is three real hygiene level pieces of security in every connected consumer device, uh, being proper identity, so using proper cryptographic authentication frameworks. It requires a vulnerability disclosure on the company. You have to tell your customers when something's gone wrong. And you also have to be able to update. So of course we will find vulnerabilities, it's part of life. And you have to make sure that you work with your customers to remediate that. But the interesting thing here is cost moves from, uh, sorry, security moves from being a cost, something which we all have to suck up, to actually being an enabler for business. Because if I have to update those devices legally, I have to know who those customers are. I can put in place service agreements and service revenues. I can sell to those people and market to them because I know who they are. 
So security flips from being a cost to a value. Very interesting. And what would you say, Hayden, would be the timescales? I mean, a bill in its final reading is going to mandate compliance in, what, two to three-year type of time frame? Uh, actually, a little bit sooner than that. So typically, as soon as this bill has gone through uh, the Commons, it will be uh, it will go to the Lords for review, just to make sure it's good law, uh, and then get signed off. Uh, and it will be law. And so we're looking in the region of less than 12 months for that to actually be applicable. And similar pathways in the EU and the US are following behind on, on, on basically the same principles, you think? Uh, absolutely. In the EU, uh, they've had a standard called uh, EN303645. It was driven by ETSI, the European Telecommunication Standards Institute. Um, that's been picked up by ENISA, which is actually the legislative framework, guys. They will have that in place, uh, hopefully, as of November uh, 2023. And that is for everything sold as of November 2023. So if you're shipping something from the Far East, you need to step back from that. You need to make sure that everything which is going to be sold in Europe as of the end of next year is compliant. So that means shipping by the middle of the year, which means manufacturing at the start of next year. So the clock is very much ticking. Okay. And, and what are companies doing? I mean, what's the state of the art? What do you think companies are doing about this challenge today? Where do you see them moving over the next few quarters? So it really has started to come into focus over the last six months or so. Uh, for a number of years now, we've been telling people that security is important and having to explain to them why. Yeah. That's really changed to people wanting to understand how over the last six months? How do I meet compliance? How do I meet the certification required? The reality is that people are not really ready for this. And there's actually a huge lack of cybersecurity knowledge in the industry. There's a, a lack of about three and a half million cybersecurity experts globally. So we can't educate our way through that. Uh, and in fact, people then are, are having to turn to tools and standard frameworks. And part of what we do is secure things is we deliver tools into the development flow, uh, what we call embedded trust, but then also into the production flow. And this is integrated into the manufacturing process to imbue security directly into the devices when they're born. Um, and are you seeing, you're, you're seeing this now, I, I guess there's guys out leading in the field who are implementing this in their systems today or considering implementing it in the near future, right? Uh, absolutely. More and more companies are looking at exactly this, how they do it. So we've dealt with one company in the US recently, and um, we were talking about their needs in general, and they kind of turned around and they said, well, we just need a big secure boot manager now button, yeah. um, which is fantastic because that's kind of what we offer. Uh, but it enables them to bring security into their product very easily. Um, some people can do that at the start of the project. Other people are already partway through the project and together we can offer tools and solutions for doing that. 
very few people have clean sheet designs these days. So we have to add security where we can, good enough security as we move forward. Um, people are asking, how do I take my existing application and add just enough security? And then I'll step it forward and step it forward. And that's an important aspect for many companies. They have to, they have to put in enough security. They have to tick the security box without wishing to become fully experts in every aspect of the field. I mean, you've mentioned already a reference to the, the economic forum in, in Davos. I know you attended and spoke this week. Are there any takeaways that maybe resonate in some of the problems we've been talking about from, from the meeting in Davos? Yeah, there are really two which stand out for me. The first one is really a supply chain uh, issue. We, we know with our food, we have farm to fork legislation everywhere in the Western world. We can go to the supermarket, we could find a pack of meat, we can understand which farms they came from, the full supply chain, and understand even the medicines that the animals were given. And yet we can't do that with our electronics. And this creates a real problem as we look at uh, software bill of material and how systems are built. We have to do better about that. We have to be able to look at our cards, at our critical infrastructure and understand that flow. And this has been echoed back in a number of ways from, with delegations from the US and from Europe. We have to have a farm to fork mentality for our electronics. Okay. The other part of it, which really stood out for me was the concept of privacy in a hyper-connected world. As the internet of things surrounds us and understands more about us, uh, whether it's smart watches or smart homes or smart cars or smart transportation systems, these things are gonna be connected together and we have to understand the um, privacy which goes around those uh, and, and how our data is shared. And this really moves things from what I would call traditionally embedded to more edge processing with more capabilities there. But the fundamental of privacy is security. We need to make sure that our devices are protected against third parties hacking into them, uh, harvesting our data, maybe weighting the dice around decision-making um, and being able to nudge us in the wrong way. We, we, we talk a lot about fake news. We don't talk so much about fake data, and yet the consequences of that could be as strong as we've seen with you know, various elections uh, and other bad things. Uh, recently. Interesting. The, the one other thing, and I guess we've spoken a lot about the problems of security, we're, we're going to come to the solutions very soon. But before I move on to that, the, the one other, I guess, question that was in my mind, and, and as a sort of supply chain guy by, by profession, that the component shortage I, I, I have always considered to have been something that's really hampered companies who are genuinely trying to implement security in the very accelerated and stressed timelines that you're referring to. Um, did, did, was there any discussion about easing in the supply chain problems or is that something you see maybe, if not this year, into the early part of next year? Um, there obviously is some discussion around that and the things like the chips 
legislation, uh, making sure that both the US and Europe um, have some level of independence um, away from some of the supply chain issues, especially if at a, a geographical level, if China and, and Taiwan get into uh, troubled waters again. Um, so much of our semiconductors is reliant on China and on Taiwan, that if something did blow up over there, then obviously the US and Europe need to have um, some level of independence. So that will happen, but I think the key thing around that is that people are starting to understand again the benefits of dual sourcing or multi-sourcing and the need not to be too dependent on a single point of failure, a single vendor. So that if they, in their automotive platform, they're very reliant on one vendor and they go on backlog, there's nothing they can do about it and their manufacturing lines become car parks. So we've actually seen, and there's a broader organization with IAR, the, the need for people to pick up and support multiple devices, and this is true of security too. So it's great that a lot of these devices have great security capabilities or AIML capabilities or whatever, but there's also an awareness that being too reliant on those companies is not necessarily a good thing. So it's a way of diminishing risk. And then I think from a European and US perspective, uh, we will see, uh, I think, additional investment in fabs uh, and in the silicon ecosystem uh, and around uh, intellectual property in general. Okay. okay. Well, I think we've, we've framed the problem, Hayden. Um, cer certainly, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a situation where legislatively, commercially, and in the interests of consumers, you know, companies need to come to the table on security. There are just challenges with implementation, but there's good guidelines around what it is people need to do and, 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 and in, in what timeframes. Thank you, Colin and Hayden, for framing the IoT security problem for us so clearly. We'll discuss how manufacturers can securely provision their connected devices and ensure the Internet of Things does not become the Internet of Broken Things in our next episode of The Critical Lowdown. We've covered various technologies and terms on this podcast. To our listeners, don't forget that all of the information you heard today is available on our website at epsglobal.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.